Before I begin this most incredibly important interview with Jason Jones, he references at some point in the interview a video that he had sent that he would like us to view. So what I wanted to do was to take this opportunity to play this uh, brief introduction as a proem or prolegomenon, so to speak, which introduces Jason Jones and also the storyline and the subject matter and the criticality of what we're about to see. So watch this carefully. You guys have rescued over 900 children under Operation Lone Star. People ask me all the time, Jason, what is happening to these children? What's the answer to that? That's, that's really the disturbing part of it, that there really is no answer to what happens to these children. Our own federal government does not have an, an answer to that. They don't acknowledge that. And that's what's really disturbing as a country, that we have these children that are being exposed, that are vulnerable, they're being smuggled by smugglers. It's known for a fact that this, this is happening. We show it, and that you don't know where they end up and what's happening to them. And the fact of the matter is, many of them are being forced into sex trafficking or labor trafficking, but yet there is no acknowledgement, there's no answer, there's no action from our own government to find out exactly what's happening to the children. And what are we doing to protect these children, to avoid these type of events from taking place? And just by the fact that we've been able to rescue over 900 children, from one agency alone, not taking into account what other local, county, yeah. and federal agencies yeah. uh, recover, that in itself is truly shocking. As anybody who has watched me will know, I'm I'm not a big fan of interviews. Most interviews uh, are the worst. Uh, believe me, I hate to say this. They may be great people. They may have done great things, but they're lousy. Jason Jones is not in that category. When it comes to the horrors of what's going on, on our borders. He is the man. Jason, welcome, my friend. Thank you, buddy. It's great to be with you. And thank you for the kind words. Appreciate that. But it's, but, but it's true. And people will say this. I'm not, uh, I'm, I'm not blowing smoke. Uh, very quickly, your actual background. I don't want to misquote you, sir. Yeah, I'm a retired captain from the Texas Department of Public Safety. That's basically your state police in Texas. Uh, I was a captain in the Intelligence and Counterterrorism Division. I led the Texas Rangers Cross-Border Security Operations Center. I was not a Texas Ranger. I was a lieutenant, I mean, a captain in that, that uh, program because of my contacts with U.S. intelligence agencies trying to save lives in Mexico. The Ranger chief asked me to come over and lead one of their programs. It was a, something that never happens. And then I spent a lot of my time on that southern border from being a trooper in El Paso, Texas, an undercover narcotics agent in Brownsville, and then a lieutenant in Laredo, Texas, as the war, as the cartels call it, uh, was uh, really kicking off between the Zetas, or Los Zetas as they're known, and the Gulf Cartel. Okay, right now, for reasons, as you know, Jason, America has, and why we have these thumbs-up things that show up, I have no earthly idea. Anyway, but there's these icons and emojis pop up. As, as you know, America has the attention span of a gnat. And uh, when I'm recording this with you is the 60th anniversary of the assassination of JFK. And I'm telling you, uh, I actually saw an article that says how the assassination forever changed to Dallas. This is an article. So I don't expect anybody to understand this. But true or false, my friend, the border deterioration, the lack of a border, the lack of, of any kind of control is worse than can possibly be understood explained, explicated, or described. True or false? True. And I will say it again 
And again, that what we are really witnessing at the Southwest border is the largest U.S. intelligence failure since 9-11. I want you to really think about that for a second. The largest U.S. intelligence failure since 9-11. Because most people look at the border crisis through the lens of immigration only. And it is a major player in the problem set that we have. But the national security issues and the public safety threats to the American people are unprecedented. And you see it. And I can give you just one classification alone. Look at the level of overdose, really poisonings in this country from fentanyl unprecedented. Listen, Lionel, there is not a terrorist organization in the world that has killed as many Americans as the Mexican cartels. Yet as a nation, we do nothing to stop it. Now, if I were to ask you, let's assume, God forbid, I'm the president. I I appoint you to be border czar. And I've got three, let's make it simple, three examples where we're going to go with a film crew and we're going to blow the minds of the American voter public, what would it be? Right now, number one, start with the the worst that will keep people up at night and cause their jaws to drop. What would it be? Well, if they knew the number of people coming into this country from all over the world with a terrorism nexus or those that are living and breathing in our country that are responsible for the death of hundreds of people in Mexico, I mean, we have straight out killers operating in our country and they're operating freely. Most of them are here on visas because remember, if you're a cartel member, you can afford to have a visa, right? A lot of people are not aware of that. Many of these guys are here who are and and also the trade craft that they're involved in. The other part of this that I'll tell you is fentanyl and these labs, um, hundreds upon hundreds of these mega labs down in Mexico. We know where they are, but yet we can't get the U.S. government to go get them. So I want the folks to know that this is absolutely fixable. It is. But I have to tell you, we're doing virtually nothing to stop it. And, and it, look, here's the great thing about it. I don't, through the natural course of time, all things are revealed. And the truth is going to be revealed about what's been taking place. It's going to come out because you can't hide this stuff forever. It, it, it'll reveal itself. Take us back uh, to we, we uh, the only time people, most people uh, have talked about uh, cartels adjacent is, is through uh, uh, media and through film, how many cartels are there roughly in um, oh. Mexico or where are they from? How many are there? J- just explain what the cartels are. Yeah, let's first talk about what is a cartel? What does the word mean? Well, the word cartel means agreement. It's just been bastardized over the years. And really agreements between different criminal organizations who are able to mold and work themselves together. And those that are able to collaborate and work well together uh, are the ones that really uh, – sit and root and, and grow in size. I'll give you a great example of that. The Sinaloans, you know, you've always heard for years that the Sinaloa cartel, uh, which by the way, is one of the oldest in Mexico and is operating in 54 countries around the world, that it was ran by Chapo Guzman. Well, no, that was never true. He, Chapo ran his cell. He was the capo of his cell. You also had El Mayo, you had Rafael Caro Quintero and many others, including the Salazar family uh, and others. But the breadth and scope of them is that they operate differently, you know, depending upon which cartel you're talking about, some are a hub, a spoke, a wheel, or a mesh network. So they're different. But when you look at the real major players in Mexico, and it changes all the time with the exception of a few, you've got Sinaloans, you've got Cartel Jalisco New Generation, known as CJNG, the most hyper-violent cartel in Mexico. You've got Cartel del Nareste, known as CDN. Also, many watching right now will remember them before they had to rebrand themselves because of the great effort of law enforcement to go after them. They were known as the Los Zetas. Back then, really the game changers because they brought in tradecraft and discipline into the game. You have the Gulf Cartel, also known as CDG or Cartel del Gafo. 
those are the major players in Mexico right now. Now you have under that numerous other organizations that you can call a cartel or not call a cartel. But when, when you, when, from my perspective and from U.S. intelligence agencies' perspective, it is those who are able to work well together, have impacts to our own country and globally that we really call cartels. Now you could go crazy with it and you can list all these other groups that are collaborating and working in and moving drugs and these other things. But if you really want to talk about who has the stranglehold, those are the major players right okay. now in Mexico. When did this start uh, uh, approximately at, at this status? Because we have no, we used to have maybe the mob, the mafia, LCN, Maybe that's nothing compared to this. When did it really hit this militaristic, almost a subsidiary government? They're almost like mini sovereigns. When did it hit this metastatic level? Where it really illuminated itself and the adjustment from what you're saying of organized crime into the insurgency was 2006. Mm -hmm. And the reason it was illuminated is because they called their own administration and Mexico began utilizing their military to go after them. And at the time in the West, we said, this is crazy because we looked always, if you ever noticed through our lens of how we operate. Right. But what we, weren't, what we weren't looking at well is what was happening in Mexico and how so many levels of the Mexican government had been corrupted and the stranglehold and the true trade craft that Cartel de Gato and the Los Zetas were having and just the trade craft and discipline they were bringing to the game. So as the Mexican government surged with their military, and we saw this insurgency. And what is an insurgency? It's just where uh, groups fight back against their own government. We were stunned. I mean, Lionel, we were having six, eight, 10, 12 hour gun battles with 40 millimeter grenades, 50 caliber belt fed machine guns, RPGs, light anti tank weapons, first generation armored vehicles we called monsters. And these battles were happening right at our border. So, wait a minute. And the whole country was looking to the Middle East, but yet at our border, this is what we saw taking place back in 06, 07. We're talking to Jason Jones, by the way, and you can also just, I'll have all of your information uh, below uh, for at uh, jasonjones.com. By the way, that's J-A-E-S, because Jason would not be satisfied with just conventional spelling. And by the way, Jones is also spelled with nine umlauts and a, uh, I'm just kidding. Now, so when the government decided to go after it as a military that that's what made it stronger versus destroying it or something, no, something no it it illuminated it it's oh, I where see, I, for I the see, first time our nation and other nations set back on our heels and said we got whoa there's problems down there before that it would it was always you know this drug cartel is fighting right. this drug okay. cartel and no one really understood any type of trade craft that was being displayed from it. This was the game changer where you, say, you could truly see it globally around, around the world. Specified trade craft. What do you mean by that? Yeah. Well, prior to that, you know, these were drug traffickers. Prior to that, this was organized crime. You know, these were guys, you know, you go do a dope deal. I'll give you a great example. 2004, uh, I'm an undercover narcotics agent in Brownsville, Texas. And you go to do a dope deal at four o'clock. You're on what we call doper time because – you know, the dope deal may go down at 10 o'clock that night or 1 a.m. in the morning or not at all. And then the next day, you know, it'd go. The Zetas who were working with the Gulf Cartel, they were going to be doing an operation supporting Gulf Cartel because that's really what they were at the time. They were enforcers. They had an operation at 10 o'clock. They were ready at nine. They were trained. They were disciplined. And they brought that level of tradecraft. And that was the enforcement wings 
now coming to play within organized crime because these guys were criminals before. And this was the real change up because what the Zetas brought to this, when I say tradecraft and discipline, but you got to remember, the Zetas were former Gafe Special Forces. And what that Gafe is basically our, uh, equivalent to our Green Berets in the United States. Mm-hmm. And they brought in encrypted radios. They brought in military-grade weaponry. And then began training the trainer programs to teach these other Gulf Cartel members how to leverage, you know, two-man, four-man, ten-man tactics, how to leverage first-generation, second-generation armored vehicles and get this into their uh, tradecraft and discipline of how they're operating when they go out. So that was the real beginning of it. And from there, the more and more the military began their operations under the Calderon administration, it illuminated this capability. But then also what it did that was really missed by U.S. intelligence agencies, and I talk about this a lot, is that it forced all the other cartels to either rise to the occasion right. or fall because everybody wanted to be a Zeta. I mean, we would sit down and we would interview these these young cartel members within the, the Zetas or within CDG, and they would call themselves commando such and such. And, and you would listen to them, and they were pretty bright young people. But they had gone through basic, intermediate, and advanced training, and they truly believed themselves to be commandos. And you have to remember, if you look in Mexico, they have some of the most stringent gun laws in the world. You have a lot of people who are extremely poor. So you could go from nothing to something very rapidly, very quickly. And it was so appealing. I mean, the Zetas were spreading like a virus across Mexico. This is where Matazetas come from. Uh, Matazetas, if you're not familiar with that term, that was Zeta killers because the Sinaloans were being overtaken. They themselves had to unite with other cartels and create the unified groups in order to try to combat this because everybody wanted to be a Zeta because you too could be a commando. And this is where the enforcement wings came from. And it's why we see Mexico in the turmoil that we and see t- it today. And you take Jason Jones, people who are in absolute squalor, unimaginable right. poverty with no future whatsoever. And I'm going to give you an inter, uh, a uniform, a rank. I'm going to give you uh, respect. That's right. I'm going to give right. you maybe that family, maybe that paternalistic, maybe that father you've never done. Now, but here's a question. How do these people, aside from being who they are, why is this an American problem? Okay, we got the Zetas. How do they affect us actually, palpably, tenably? What, what difference does it make to us? How do we feel their presence and appreciate the levels of their crime? Well, today you feel in multiple multiple ways. In the old days, back when I was trying to really sell this, I was trying to illuminate what was happening in Mexico before I came here. Uh, today, if you live in the north, you feel the overdose poisonings from fentanyl is a great example more than anything else. In the south, though, we feel it through the lens of human smuggling and human trafficking. And what's really taking place now as a result of the Biden administration's policies of open borders, we now have um, what I call the convergence. And that's where now we in the South are feeling the overdose death crisis where we really didn't in the in prior. And you in the North are feeling the human smuggling, human trafficking that you never felt previously. So the convergence has now taken place. And this is all as a direct result of failure upon failure upon failure of the Homeland Security enterprise. You know, we, it, it's definitely a policy issue without doubt. But the level of failure by U.S. intelligence agencies, Department of Homeland Security, NORTHCOM, and uh, many other federal agencies, the FBI, DEA, I mean, the list goes on, to tell the American people what's happened is what's gotten us here. It really is. I mean, it's the truth. 
Jason Jones, Newsmax, Newsmax border correspondent, and also jasonjones.com, J-A-E-S-O-N. Let me ask you a question. Um, please explain to me why fentanyl has to be so bloody dangerous. Why are they killing us? Why don't you say, listen, guys, tone it down. They're not going to send it back a batch because it's not strong enough. This, to the perhaps the untrained eye, looks like a deliberate uh, exercise or intent to poison on a large-scale basis. How how are they not losing their clientele? What is the purpose of this? Why are so many people dying? Why is fentanyl nuclear, thermonuclear, in terms of its uh, strength? It's a great question. It really is. And I get asked this quite a bit. First, you have to look at it from, let's, let's take it from their perspective. And, and this is something that's hard for Americans to understand. But I want to be very clear. They do not care. You are one economy in the United States. From their perspective, they're operating globally. You're Sinaloan, you're operating in 54 countries. If you're Cartelisco, new generation, you're operating in 48. CJ&G made their rise so rapidly, so quickly. Why? Because they were moving their product to Australia and they were moving their product to Europe. Those two specifically is why they were able to come to power so quickly because over there, there was a time a kilo of cocaine was going for $180,000 in Australia. It was the Miami Vice of the 80s in the United States down in Florida was happening in Australia, still is to some degree. So that's the perspective that Americans are never told. Second, when you look at what they are concerned from their perspective, not ours, they do not care about us. They do not care about the Mexican government. They don't care about other governments. What they are concerned about is their rivals. Because if their rival makes a better product than they do, they can make more money and they can overtake there because they battle for control of plazas or municipalities, as we would call them in the United States. And these plazas are very lucrative. You know, you'll always hear the 1980s DEA model of if you, they battle for, uh, for smuggling routes. Yeah, they did in 1980. In 2023, they're battling for full on control. Because then you control everything that moves uh, through that plaza, so the, both so the, legitimate and illegitimate goods, just so everyone's aware. So contrary to, to rational thinking, my, my fentanyl that kills is actually considered better, more popular, more... It's like in the old days here in New York, in the Nikki mm-hmm. Barnes era, they would send out deliberately these hot, really hot batches with a particular logo and somebody would take them and they, they die and the, the 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 desire went through the roof as opposed to counterintuitive you would say that will kill you so do they deliberately stoke this uh supercharge kind of like a gain of function to use the fauci term do they really um supercharge and turbocharge the fentanyl which actually inures to their benefit later on because more people want it because it must be good because it's killing people, if that makes any yeah. sense. Am I, am it, I it right? does. It, 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 uh, let me give it to you in a different version. Um, the, what, what you hear this term of a, or weaponization of fentanyl, what you're not told by, and this is exactly what the U.S. agency should be talking about, is the Chapito cell, the sons of Chapo Guzman, in 2018 began hiring chemists right out of universities. Chemists. Why do they do that? To change the analogs in the, in the fundamental precursor chemicals being utilized and the process by which you make fentanyl in order to make different strains of it. So today, you have several strains of fentanyl. You have regular fentanyl, you have parafentanyl, you have serafentanyl. And now you have the introduction of xylazines. Each one can Trank. be, but not... Trink, exactly. Each one can be stronger, but not necessarily. It all depends on how it's manufactured. But 
if you just look at it in general terms, parafentanyl is stronger than, than regular fentanyl and serafentanyl, which is the kind of thing that you use to dart giraffes and rhinoceros mm. in Africa, is what the cartels have now made. And then they're pushing this poison into the streets. Now, if you get really technical, some of what is taking place, and a lot of it is specifically with the pills of fentanyl, is you take these big industrial grade presses that the cartels utilize. Well, you know, domestically in, in big pharma, they clean those presses with every press. In Mexico, they don't do that. So you get a hot pill because all they're doing is pressing. You see what I mean? Because they're not cleaning, right. cleaning it out of there. And so that's one methodology as to how it takes place. But there's a whole nother weaponization of this that is much more complex involving how they hired these chemists out of universities. But that was all to make a stronger batch to combat what their rival is making. Right. You see gotcha. what I'm getting at? So gotcha. when you hear me say, and people have to listen to this, and I, I testified before Congress and tried to explain this very thing, that they will not stop. They will not stop until every American, every Australian, every Mexican is dead because they can't. They are at war in Mexico. If you and I were sitting down right now, Lionel, we were talking to them, you'd be stunned at the wording they use. They use the term war. It's not my terminology. It's theirs. They're at war they with us? No, with their rivals. I, oh, and I that see. Is, and that is collateral damage. That's exactly right. And so they can't stop. And so I can give it to you in so many parallels. Never mind regular fentanyl, parafentanyl, serafentanyl, xylazine, and the other zine categories that Americans are not familiar with. They're also coming on board. Now let's, let's look into the military-grade weaponry. As soon as you see, and this is something for everyone to remember, when you see what we call a major tripwire or a major new capability within the cartels, and I'll give you a great example of what I'm talking about. In 2010, we had the first car bomb go off. It was a vehicle-borne improvised explosive device. The triggering device came from the FARC, which is, was a designated foreign terrorist organization. Mm -hmm. And what, what they did is they killed a civilian. They put him in a police officer's uniform. They videotaped it. And then as they dialed their version of 911, as law enforcement responded, they detonated it while they videoed it. And then they put it up on the World Wide Web. And I knew immediately we were in trouble because that tradecraft has to be acquired by the other cartels because they can't let one have it and not the others. By the end of the year, we had four other cartels setting off car bombs. And so it's a tit for tat, if God, you okay. will. Bit. Okay, and Americans have to understand this. And I, I trained this for years to U.S. intelligence agencies when I used to lecture at the Naval Postgraduate School and to SES level positions to try to get them to change programs to go after them. But we will never, we, we will be able to spend for the rest of our natural lives uh, discussing incompetence and the like uh, very quickly. And I don't want this to get political True. per se, but as we speak right now and as the world looks to Hamas and Gaza and the Palestinian uh People, Israel and others, have talked about insurgents and people, and this is this is a war. Could one think, could one believe that we have to, and I don't want to say that the Zetas are Hamas, I don't want to get into that, but what I'm saying is, is it not within the realm of reason, Jason Jones, for perhaps maybe the government to look at these people as a an insurgent, a a, a combative, a, a an enemy on our border, that we have to declare war against. Forget the fact that it's not sanctioned by Mexico. For, for They may be a quasi-sovereign. They represent a real and actual threat to the safety and the security and the sovereignty of our country. And I know that Mayorkas and those guys are going to advocate this, but do we need either a president or an administration or a policy that declares war on them and tells Mexico, you've got 
five days or five hours. If you don't clean this up, we're coming in there. We're not going to wait to be invaded. Does that make even re- I don't want to be, you know, conservative, tough guy. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But doesn't that make sense to you? Well, I'm the guy that came public in 2016 and started the entire initiative to gain new authorities to designate them as foreign terrorist organizations. You're, you're talking to the man that started that entire program. And what happened? And, uh, well, in 2019, we thought we had it. I used to come on Fox News with Lou Dobbs. I'll never forget it. Um, when President Trump, and you may remember when the family was killed, uh, yeah. all the women and the children down in Mexico that were American citizens, and many of them with dual citizenship, great family down there, by the way, uh, were brutally killed um, by La Lina, or the Lion uh, Cartel in a subsidiary known as the Jaguars. President Trump came out and said he was going to designate them as foreign terrorist organizations. Lou Dobbs had me on and said, Jason, publicly, on, on air, nationwide, congratulations. You just got the cartels designated as terrorists, and then they changed their mind. Where I'm going with that Who's is- Who's they? That, Excuse me. Who's they? Trump? Who? No, 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 no. The FBI uh, oh. and the DEA, you got to understand, oh. this is all about budgets and budgeting. It also had to do and with- turf. Uh, Work working with, well with Mexico and the Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador okay. um, administration yeah. in Mexico right now. Let me just it say all something. had to do with that and and the push pull factors of who would have control of this and who wouldn't and where the budgets would go. That's what really caused a lot of this issue. Parenthetical, this is me, not you. Lou Dobbs is one of the smartest. He was so prescient. He was so vatic. I used to be on her show when he was on CNN and he was talking about the, the borders and, and they'd say, Lou, what is this fetish you have with people? And, and it turns out he was right. He also was talking about the North American Union and the New World, whatever. Now, moving this, as you know, my beloved wife, uh, Lynn Shaw and Lynn's Warriors, uh, is, is her focus is on human trafficking. This is how her... You did a, a presentation in New York that was absolutely mind-boggling, and nobody boggles my mind. Thank you. It was, you. it was, but it was tragic. It was tragic. There are just your videos. It's it's so funny. I got to tell you something. Your your um, when you show bracelets of little kids and bracelets, and they're piled up. I remember one time in, in Israel at the Yad Vashem at the uh, Holocaust Museum seeing things like a pile of safety pins. And you realize, my God, look at me, or, or shoes or watches or glasses. And you realize each one of those, oh my God, sometimes something that is seemingly inanimate, seemingly representative or symbolic is hits you more. The bracelets, no. each one of these little girls, these these. Little girl, yeah. you, you've got to tell this one particular story of these little girls who come here unaccompanied, and you've got this Mallorcans and other people basically looking the other way. These kids are this is chattel. This is, I, I can't believe what's going on. And they're coming into this country, and nobody's doing anything. Give us an idea of how horrible that is, and, and hit us with I don't want to say your best story, but make the case, make people wince. We're not, we're not gonna, we're not gonna um, sugarcoat this. I'll tell you what I'll do one even better. Why don't you edit in the video I just sent you where last week I was down on the border embedded with the Texas DPS and I was sitting next to uh, Lieutenant Chris Olivetis, who's the public information officer. I was stunned. I mean, I was stunned last week at what I learned. It's a great example. You should play that in this and, and add it in there. And here's why. Because he revealed that, that one agency, 
One agency, the Texas Department of Public Safety and our Governor Abbott's Operation Lone Star have rescued over 900 children since March of 21. I wanna say that again, over 900 children, one agency. Ladies and gentlemen, we have over 18,000 in this country. So these border policies, opening the border to the world has led to the largest integration of children unaccompanied and in the hands of smugglers. Uh, let me tell you what brought this about, because I, I can't stop thinking about this. Um, a highway patrolman in Kinney County, days before as I was arriving down south, stopped a vehicle in Kinney County, Texas, just north of Eagle Pass, where you see these hundreds and hundreds of people crossing in these long lines. He made a traffic stop. The driver was a Tango Blast gang member. He looks in the back seats and he sees nothing but hands and, and feet. So he knows he's got a smuggler. Pulls him out, puts him in handcuffs, opens the door. People start running in every direction on him. He ends up fighting one guy to the ground, opens the hatch in the back, and he's got a seven-year-old and a nine-year-old unaccompanied in the hands of this Tango Blast gang member. Guess where he was taking them? He was driving them first to Pasadena, Texas, and then from there he was taking them to California. One example. And so that... That escalated the questioning from me to the agency. Can you tell me about these children? And I was stunned. I broke that story last week. It's incredible. The this this thing. I don't know where this came from, Jason. This idea of unaccompanied. I that, you have no idea what that does to me. Unaccompanied. They are accompanied. They're accompanied by their trafficker. Little right, yeah. A little girl comes in. Who is she? Manuela, whatever, Inocente, whatever, Gonzalez. Good. Okay, whatever. If she disappears from the face of the earth tomorrow, that's it. She, they, they come from villages, I would imagine, where there's no birth records and there's no thing. I mean, I, I don't, I, I don't want to, I'm, I'm guessing they don't exist. So they come here. They can, uh, a, a child, a child, if brought to a, and in, in our country we're doing it as well, a truck stop, some, I don't know what, encampment. How many men can this child go through until they just don't exist anymore, until they can't have, and then they're, they're just. It's terrible. It's, it's listen, we, what, what has happened in the last few years under this administration with this open border, and it's the policy. It has really illuminated this adjustment from the smuggling of people into the trafficking through debt bondage is one, but two, the sheer level of these unaccompanied alien children who are being pushed in multiple methods. Some are uh, pushed by their family to go up there to be able to see other family here in the U.S. and they hand them off to these smugglers. I see that quite often. We have another one where you have children that are being recycled. And what that means is where the smugglers basically are taking these kids, giving them based on the current policy, um, because I'll give you a great example. When we filed exemptions, and I say we, Secretary Mayorkas, created exemptions for family units. Well, what did that do? That started the recycling of children because now these smugglers could take a child, give them over to a single male, charge that single male more money to have a child, get them into the U.S., then take that kid, reuse that kid and to help in multiple smuggling events. Now, overlay that, though, with other problems where that child then crosses into the U.S. with that single male. What happens to that child? The cartel doesn't care. I mean, they don't care about that child. I, no. I, I give you a great, great story about that, too. The Zetas were really brutal about this. They would take a family, a mother, a father with a couple of kids, and they would take both children, leave one child with the mother and father, 
take both kids and share those kids with these other people to be brought into the U.S. And then they had no idea. I, I would ask them, well, how do they get the ch children back? They don't give a shit. Jason, what are you talking about? Who cares? That's what he tells me. Who cares? That's where we are, America. And look, this, it is very important to understand the hyper-violence that these cartels are committing in Mexico has, it has trickled down into so many other facets. And right. so when you hear me talk about, you know, the stash houses and how these smugglers have care, custody, and control of these people and how they treat them as a commodity. Oh, the video, very the, video you, the video you showed us of the stash house, it was, there were, the, you, you could hear the smugglers complaining about there's no people. There's no, they, they, they sat there piled like, like, like cords of wood almost sitting there crunched. And the thing, Jason, which I'm, I'm sure I don't have to tell you this. There's a look of emptiness, of loss, of vacuity. The eyes uh, don't well connect. Well, man, I, I, well, now, hats off to you for seeing that, man. I see it all the time. I know that look. It's, it's like it, it's dead. There's nothing there behind feel, it. I know right, that look very well. When, yeah. when you have been pushed like travel, like, like, like chattel slavery lumber, you're just a commodity. And the thing I don't understand, and I will spend the rest of my life always saying, I don't understand. Look, let's be, we're adults. I can understand Mayorkas. And by the way, I don't blame Mayorkas. He's following orders. He's a puppet. He's not, he's not, this isn't his concoction. He's not his thing. He's told what to do. But if somebody said, listen, Jason, you don't understand. This, these are workers. We want the adults. Okay. Workers, cheap way. Every time there's a, somebody doing, you know, uh, landscaping or whatever, it's this. Plus, we want a permanent democratic country. Okay, I got it. I'm not stupid. But kids, this is the part. Stupid me. I re I'll never forget. And please, I don't want to go too, too far off. During this, um, whatever you think about uh, Russia and Ukraine, people were going nuts over the little doggies that were left. And I'm thinking, dogs? What? Yeah. What are you talking about? There, there's this. We care about dogs, and they're they're wonderful. But Jace, why have we lost? Whatever happened to women and children first? We had this. This. All of us are yeah. parents, and we, kids. They, we. They, there's no connection because oh well, you know that's that's third world for you. That's. Uh, I don't understand it. There, it's and and when Josh Hawley or whoever it is blast. Uh, in Mallorca, since he, what about the kids? How many kids have been responsible for rape or, or wholesale? There's just this a return yeah. blank look like, and then it's forgotten, and then we're all. Well, I, I, I think it's a really good segue here and a really good point because what I've learned is that many of these, both at the state level and at the federal level, both representatives, congressmen, and senators from state and at the federal level, I've briefed many of them privately, I've briefed them publicly, it was just at the Homeland Security Committee on you know the the full house committee i was there testified about all this and what i will tell you and what i've learned is that they're not being briefed they're just not being briefed now if you're a part of certain select committees you're getting the classified intelligence briefing but many of them are not most of them get their news right. from the left most of them get their news from the left from cnn and most uh, their i'm sorry intel from cnn and most from the right get it from fox news let me That's ask you something let me ask you something this gets me what if I told him, see that kid? Yeah, she was a January 6th. What? She was a ringleader. She's four years old. I bet you. You know that in New York, uh, here in New Jersey, after January 6th, there were billboards that said, do you know anybody who was in January 6th? 
They're still going after January 6th. I don't want to go through that argument. What I'm saying is, don't give me this. These people have access to intel, surveillance. They can biochip them. They can... They can take each kid, do a, some kind of Irish scan or something. If you told the United States, show me what you've got. Put, I don't, I mean, I'm, listen, I don't want to chip people. I don't want to do all this stuff. But I guarantee you, if they gave a shit about these kids, pardon my French, those kids would have been pulled off. They would have gone through an interrogation. Who is this man? What is this? Explain it. They would have gone through some kind of tier one interrogation. There would no be some- time. <laughs> this is a great it's a great question. See, so this is what's not being told the American people. Go to the border, see it. You know what you see? You see cattle lines of people. There are not enough agents. So what is happening is they are their job is to do one thing, and it's to process people as fast as they can in the United States. And their leadership are telling US Border Patrol agents and Office of Field Operations to get these people into the countries that is coming from leadership. So this is where these children are being lost. This is where the problem set is coming and these layers are being impacted because they don't have time. There is but where no do they go? Is this child directly linked to the child? Look, I just got it out in the interview. Chris Olivetis admitted that he, they know that children are winding up in the hands of traffickers and smugglers for the purposes of, of sex trafficking and all kinds of things that can happen to these kids. Look, what ha- here's how it works. They go from, from U.S. Customs and Border Protection. They're handed off to Health and Human Services. Then from there, they're shipped all over the country to um, uh, our foster care systems that already, oh. before this, were oh. already broken. And this oh, is why even... DHS has admitted they've, they've lost over 80,000 of them. This is but, why but they know that they can't. I don't want you. I, I know you're not afraid of uh, politics, and that's great. And Newsmax, you know, God bless them for at least trying to show something even vaguely resembling the truth. But if you had to guess, there's always somebody somewhere where I can say, I understand. I got it. Big business, oil, big tech. I got it. Who's behind this? What agency? What? what yeah. Who Who says, great, we got a thousand more kids disappearing into the, you know, here we are in New York City in the West Side Highway. I think my mm-hmm. wife told you about this. We would always see these young women, again, with the mask. Oh, that COVID mask. It's a great way to also hide the identity of, of people who have yeah. been kidnapped. But they're out there with kids on their back on the West Side Highway, dark, selling bags of fruit. This is apparently, it has been suggested, this is labor trafficking. There are people who have come from, uh, it doesn't sound as perhaps sexy, but people from other countries who have ended up who they they think they're coming to uh, get into the financial sector. They have their passport taken and they end up doing a house cleaning in some place and threatened with whatever it is. So that's, that's all levels, but I can kind of get that. I understand it sort of, mm-hmm. but children, if, if, if I'm, if Mayorkas or, or HA or whoever it is, is, is deliberately looking the other way, somebody in our government, has made a deal with sex traffickers. Somebody, it's the only thing. I don't think they woke up one morning and said, now's my chance. Who are they? I will say that that what I think we're going to find when it comes to all of this is that the NGOs and the movement of people as immigrants across the ideology world globally, um, what you're going to find is that this is an industrial complex of its own. The immigration industry and then what you're going to find is that these NGOs have been working side by side with, you know, uh, the Democratic Party and the far lefters 
and it has just grown into this massive machine. You know? yeah, yeah. It's and, like a cancer. And, and, yeah. Exactly. And then now, now you take that ideology and you overlay it with the cartels, the alien smuggling organizations, the Halcom network, U.S. based street gangs and tier one gangs operating globally. And what they have taken is this immigration world and said, let's just take it to a whole nother level. And that's exactly what the CDG right. started when they put, began putting wristbands on men, women and children, because we are continually underestimating the dark networks in Mexico right. and globally and how bad they can be. And the worst part of this, it really gets me, is that I go to that border and I illuminate it. You know, I stay out of the left or right issue as much as I can, but my, I attack policy and I especially attack the, the failed leadership of the Homeland Security Enterprise because their job, and I come from that world, is to stay out of politics, but to make right. sure to always shoot the American people straight. And when this all comes out, the classified reporting on what they really know and it will, because through the natural course of time, it's all revealed. Uh, Americans are going to be stunned at what we have allowed, but it's well, also going to trigger how we're going to fix the problem in the future. Let me do it this, really my will. good friend. Jason Jones, you are uh, you are without peer. Uh, you've got to promise me that we've got to pick up and do this again, because I want this. I don't Absolutely. want to overwhelm. Absolutely. I don't want to put people into a coma here. But I want you to, I want you to understand something. It's very interesting. Um uh, Gore Vidal said one time, I'm not, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, I'm a conspiracy analyst. And there are there are major, major faction conspiracies, confederations of everything you can imagine. There is a new, to use a Klaus Schwab term, a new global reset. There is a new configuration of the world where individual sovereignty and individual groups of people in the United States and North America, it has pretty much been subsumed under a bigger rubric of this thing called, and you mentioned it, globalism, NGOs, um, whatever. And one of the things I think, believe it or not, is the first rule is we must destroy everything and anything that defines order, separation, sovereignty, control, authority, jurisdiction. We've got to just start now by turning people's expectation interests off when it comes to the idea that there is a border. We want to destroy the notion of the border. Unless we don't like you, then of course you're going to find. And I think it's part and parcel of something that's a systematic, almost a learned, conditioned habituation of people to just kind of sort of accept it and just move on and also inundate the blindsided American people with as much information and data that just overwhelms mm -hmm. them. So they say, Oh, the hell of it. And, but we're not going to stop. Jason Jones, if somebody wants to get a hold of you, I'm going to put your information up. Uh, please, uh, where can they reach you? What would you like them to know? Because you're God bless you. If, if I could canonize you and appoint you for sainthood, I would Thank do you, it. Buddy. How did they reach Thank you? You know, it was great to be with you today. You can find me at jasonjones.com. That's J-A-E-S-O-N jones.com or on Newsmax. I'm, I'm live every day trying to show what's really happening because, look, I, I always want to leave on a positive, and that is this. Don't let anyone tell you this isn't fixable. The problem here is this, though. To what degree of damage to American families is going to take place? Absolutely. We've already lost 111,355 people in the last year alone to fentanyl and other drugs, never mind all the other things you and I talked about today. So from my standpoint, I want everyone to know, don't think for a second this isn't fixable, but we're going to have to get really tough. Absolutely. We're going to have to go after all of these people who have done what they've done to so many innocent American families and so many innocent Mexican families. And we're going to get it done. Jason Jones, JasonJones.com, you promised me, I want you to raise your right hand and swear that you were going to be back. We're going to do this again and again and again. 
because we have to get this one brick at a time. What you are doing, by the way, what people understand this, and I know this, uh, is that w- w- what you are doing is out of a passion. Uh, I cannot, the the amount of Thank uncompensated, uncompensated, un, you, you, what, what you have done. And by the way, there's a lot of uh, cowboys out there trying to swear that there are all kinds of, all they have to do is look at what you've done. Look at your history. Look at your law enforcement Thank pedigree, you. your provenance. And when you, you're you hanging from a helicopter, this isn't some kind of a, a Photoshop CGI thing. This is the real thing. You're the real McCoy. You're like the Rambo. Uh, and I thank you for this. And you are a good, a very special man. And God bless you. Jason Jones, we're going to talk again. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, my friend. Oh, great to be with you. And listen, if you need anything, let me know. Look forward to being back on soon. Thank you, sir.